0: Okay, welcome everybody. Thank you for being here for this event in the Buddhist Geeks Network. It's being hosted by myself and Chris Ewald. And it's a joint event, I guess you'd say a joint venture in that both Chris and I are teachers and practitioners and community members here in Buddhist Geeks. Mm -hmm. And also we're working on a a venture together, a startup company called Interbeing Inc., uh, which we've been doing for the past over year now. And we're excited to share something that we've been working on with this community who were, of course, is dear to us. And so that's the focus of today's presentation, Why Meditate with AI. And this refers to the thing we've built, Chris and I. It's called MeditateWith.ai. Just curious, maybe by show of hands, or you can raise your hands in the virtual setting. Who here has tried this prototype, just so I can get a sense for experience level yeah okay so looks like most of the folks here have tried it if you haven't feel free after this presentation to give it a go we're gonna just talk a little bit about its origins, story what it is and where we're going from here where we think we're going because we don't really know and and then we want to make some space at the end for any questions or comments from you all i would love to hear your initial reactions questions just whatever's on your mind so with that i'll begin just by talking a little bit about the history of this chris and i call it an app it's an app project Um, we're building a a multiplayer meditation app is how we refer to it it's essentially for us a question of how to bring these social or multiplayer meditation practices that we do so much here in buddhist geeks in this community how do we bring these practices to a, a broader scale How do we actually share them more widely, more broadly? That is the animating question and purpose behind this venture that Chris and I started together, but it goes much further back than Chris and I's recent project. This actually goes back to at least a decade prior when Kenneth Folk, one of my early meditation teachers and friends, was actually doing something very similar. He had recently come up with and invented the social noting technique that many of you know of, where you're meditating out loud mindfully describing what you're experiencing in real time with other people. Uh, After Kenneth had invented this technique, there was a short period where he was actually the live-in meditation teacher, or you could jokingly say he was the live-in guru uh, at the PayPal mansion in San Francisco. He had been invited by one of the PayPal founders to live there for some time and and teach meditation there. As a, a close friend and student of his, I went to visit him at the PayPal mansion And there he was sharing social noting. That was the first facilitator training I did learning how to share these techniques was in San Francisco. Uh, It was a strange weird place, to be honest with you, but it was also interesting to see the kind of convergence of the meditation and technology cultures. This is in 2010 or 11, somewhere in there. And out of this convergence, Kenneth was hanging out in Silicon Valley and sharing these new methods, which were very innovative and cool. And then decided to try to build a startup company around this and try to share these practices more broadly. So there was an actual project to do this originally, and it was called Buddha Pong. I want to share a little just quick video that was produced uh, along with the app. It was designed to be a two-player meditation experience, social noting, in which you'd note aloud together, back and forth, ping pong style, hence Buddha Pong. Kenneth was very early on trying to figure out how to take these techniques and share them in an app format. And it turns out that was a really hard problem to solve at that time, especially technologically, which I'll ask Chris to talk a little bit about why it's actually much easier to do this now. But the vision itself was really clear. And I remember I was spending a lot of time talking to Kenneth and hanging out with him during these times during this time and he'd give me periodic updates on the app and how it was going and how fundraising was going and building and all the things you do when you build an app and i was i when i tried the prototype i thought yes this needs to exist this is an awesome way to share these practices in a more kind of broad mass scale way and unfortunately because of the for, for many reasons mainly i think at that time the technology just wasn't there to support the features that were needed it didn't happen so budapong arose and passed away as many things do and 10 years later as i for the last 10 years since budapong came and went i'd been obsessed with these practices and sharing them practicing them teaching them and i just kept going back to that original vision of budapong and kept feeling like there's still an opportunity here someone needs to create an app that makes some of these practices more broadly accessible and no one is going to do it, <laughs> apparently. And so I, I felt like in, in, in a very real sense, this is mine to do, I, I need to do this. Uh, if, there's, uh, if I don't do anything else in this lifetime, at least let me try this. It uh, feels very important, but I can't do it alone. Of course, I can't do this alone. I haven't been doing it alone. In fact, most of what I've learned has been in, in community practicing with you all. Mm-hmm. So uh, this app really in that sense is born of this uh, practice community and of all the effort that people put into the practice in a very real way. And also uh, in a very real way, Chris Ewald has made this, help make this happen. My uh, co-founder and friend, I would say former student, because now he's teaching me as much as I teach him, probably if not more. And uh, also a teacher here in the Buddhist Geeks community. Um, so I want to introduce Chris and invite him to share a bit about his background, how he got into the project, and to share with us the current history of Meditate with AI or Interbeing Inc., where we are now. Thank you, Chris, for being here. Let me also spotlight you here so everyone can see you.
1: Yeah, thanks, Vince. Oh, I'd say, like so many of us, I joined this community, originally being really attracted to the podcast, And maybe five or six years ago was, when I first joined, I have a long background in technology, building different applications, worked at a lot of different companies and have been doing this for yeah, about 15 years. uh, This sort of thing. So it's my bread and butter expertise. And I got started in the, in this project. It was actually just a hugely synchronistic thing from my perspective. During COVID, I was part of that great resignation. All the people that that left their jobs that let, became unsatisfied with what they were doing. And this was at a time that I was really engaging more deeply in meditation practices and also teaching as well, or just starting to. And I was thinking about changing careers at, at one point to, to go into therapy or become a therapist i should say (laughs) and i came to this convergence after a while of that a i didn't want to abandon all of my hard-earned kind of technology skills and expertise um but i only wanted to apply it in things that i authentically wanted to build and see in the world at some point during that time when i was looking for something that was very aligned to do. That's when I started talking to to Vince about this project and it snowballed from there. We started as a, it was very tentative at first. and, And this was around June of last year. And yeah, so we explored that and talked a lot for probably some months about exactly what it is that we wanted to build. came up with all sorts of different models for how to think about this the one that's coming to mind now that's particularly relevant is this kind of it was like concentric circles we, we saw of people in deep community and meditators and it came from people that are just very like superficially maybe exposed to meditation or interested but not really deep and people that have found community and we developed a principle of, okay, something that we want to do is take people from the outside of the circle that are um, meditating by, their self, by themselves and bring them into community. And that was where we started. And from that idea came our original thing that we built that some of you have seen here, which was our Zoom app prototype. And what that was, the Zoom application, it was to be almost directly applied in a context, exactly like Buddhist Geeks. So it was meant to help with some of the facilitation aspects, getting a project going, adding some things to it, like setting up breakout rooms, having the timer work, maybe some indication of whose turn it is, capturing a reflection after the practice. And this is where we started and we built this, And a few of you have have tried it. And we were happy with it for a while, actually, aside but our one biggest takeaway from that initial project was that people loved getting an artifact at the end of the practice. So we were actually taking the reflections that that people put in and creating an artifact that people would, that represented the practice. And people really liked that. And something about, Having something physical ish to represent a unique event that you did with someone else is really nice. So we explored this path and ultimately came away from it with the understanding that this wasn't a, let's say a viable business path forward that, that by using this particular path and from our perspective, starting at the inside of the circle with deep community people that are already in community isn't actually supportive of creating a sustainable business. It would be very slow um, growth. So then at some point, it was February of, or March of this past year, we shifted from that to exploring the outside of the circle, which is trying to bring more people into these practices. And we, had, we were always talking about using AI as a part of this. And this is, of course, the AI trend and craze is happening at the same time. And, and so we're thinking, okay, we're going to start at the outside of the circle, build a very good onboarding experience to bring people who are unfamiliar uh, with these practices into this, get them onboarded with the intention of bringing them also like into meditating with other humans, because it's going back um, from these kind of concentric circles, bringing people more towards the middle. And so that's what we built now. That's what Meditate with AI is. It's essentially just, just what I had said. It's an onboarding and teaching practice um, that's scalable too. So it, it can reach a, a, a large number of people, but to get them exposed and familiar with these practices. Vince, do you have anything to add here? What did you say?
0: Yeah. Good timing. I was just feeling something bubble up, which is another reason that we did this made this pivot, the shift in strategy without really a changing the vision of what we're trying to build long-term is because there's a real problem with sharing these methods to a larger audience, right? To, To more people, which is it's hard to do. It's hard to let you have to get people together. You have to coordinate people together to do it. It's like having a party much easier to download a guided meditation on your phone and listen to it. So the question and and really the design challenge is like, how do we introduce people to these practices in a way that that feels approachable and accessible and maybe lots of people? And the choice to start with an AI partner, which may seem weird in some sense, when you're creating a multiplayer meditation app, makes a lot of sense when you consider that When people are first learning something, especially if it's a social activity, there's some amount of risk inherent in that learning and some amount of social anxiety that's present. But When you're learning to do something for the first time and others see you doing it, they see you learning. I can really relate to this. So that's another reason we want to start with an AI facilitator. Because the AI technology is now good enough that it can do some basic facilitation, can give you basic feedback on how you're doing, just make sure you're doing the technique and you can learn how to do it. And that can be a setup for then going into with other friends or even strangers that you don't know yet to do the practices with. So that was the other reason we made this shift to AI because we thought it could really solve the problem of help us solve the problem of how to introduce these social practices at scale.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Vincent asked me to share a little bit about the technology behind this. This is going to be a little bit of technical details. Some of you will really appreciate this. Some of you will not. I'll just spend a few minutes on it, but I just wanted to point out that this is essentially what's happening when you use this, this project to go through it quickly. It asks you for permissions for your microphone. This is your web browser here. So all of this is happening inside of your web browser. The web, the microphone is capturing this data. It's running through something called voice activity detection piece of software, which is honestly from a strict nerd technical standpoint, this is one of the coolest things. And it's actually running in, in WASM, which I think is, is cool. So this is actually a, a classifier that's, that's saying, is this human speech or not? One of my favorite things about this is if you snap your fingers or make some loud noise on it, it will not respond with a note. And that's because we're running this thing called a voice activity detection. And it's actually running inside of your browser. And from that, we get what's called utterances in the jargon of the trade. And utterances are little groups of speeches, speech start, speech end. There's some amount, it's not quite a sentence. It's maybe a word or a phrase or a sentence or a paragraph. It could be, but it's an utterance. And uh, this utterance is then sent to our backend, which is then going to almost immediately going to a speech-to-text transcription service, which is then returning uh, a textual form of what you're saying. That textual form of what you're saying is then going to OpenAI, which is what we are currently using as our model, our AI model, which has a lot of the insights that we've gained from this encoded into it. It's generating a response. That's a relevant response that's then returned to our backend server. It's, and it's selecting an audio file. We're doing some processing on that, but selecting an audio file, which is then returned to the browser and played back. And now just a couple interesting things here. Vince and I have talked a bunch about how we feel it's very important to have Emily, in this case, actually record the notes and because we feel that there's actually some level of real conveyed experience in how the notes are said. And we've tried a couple synth voice generator things and they're just not, they're just not good enough for right now, maybe in the future. So yeah, this is everything that's happening right now. 10 years ago, none of this existed. <laughs> for sure. In fact, 10 years ago, there was, it would have been a real struggle just to get real-time audio data, like reliably over the, the wire. And that was the core technology problem that Budapong had. Uh, it is it is interesting, at least from my perspective too, These our backend and these services are running on cloud services on the edge, you could say in the jargon again, which makes it really fast and almost infinitely scalable as well, actually. So I appreciate that on the technology aspect as well. And I think that's all that I wanted to go over on just the, how this is working and what's happening behind the scenes. Yeah. i will stop sharing here. What's next Vince?
0: Yeah. Let's see. Thank you for making it through the tech presentation. (laughs) For those that are technical, I'm sure you like nerded out uh, on that. Yeah. I see some people. So thank you, Chris, for getting nerdy with it and sharing. I actually really, it's amazing to to see the actual several months of thinking in one diagram. I'm like, somehow it shouldn't be that simple to to summarize. Yeah. I think I want to talk a little bit more about the purpose of this because I, I, I think it may not be apparent immediately apparent. And this prototype, Meditate with AI, this is not the end goal for us. This is really just an attempt to see, one, is there interest in meditating with AI at all? Is this something that people are actually going to be curious about? Could this be an angle by which people find out about multiplayer meditation? Because if it is, great. We can absolutely use that as, a, as an angle, a doorway in. But also more importantly, does the AI actually work? Can we create an experience that's good enough that people learn how to do the technique and it's interesting enough that they're curious what it's like to do it with other people? And our principle here is that we, design-wise, we wanna actually reduce intimacy in this app compared to what we would do say in Buddhist Geeks. So in Buddhist Geeks, we do video. Uh, sessions where we all are in breakout rooms and we're seeing and hearing each other practice. In this app, it'll be audio only so that people can feel a little less intimacy, again, so that there's less of a barrier to entry. From my point of view, one of the main problems right now with interpersonal practices that I've, the ones I'm familiar with, like circling and insight dialogue and many other forms is that they're almost all dyadic. They, they are two-player. And the same was true of Budapong. It's a two-player thing. Well, guess what? Two-player is really intimate. Um, if you have three or four players on a team, it's less intimate. There's a little bit more of a sense of like, oh, I'm just one of the people here. And so our principle, again, is that we want groups of at least three or four people once you start actually using the app and, and, and doing it with other people and, and potentially with the AI partner still. So audio-only and more than two people per group, and starting with an AI onboarding partner. All of these are design choices we're making to try to lo- to, to lower the barrier of entry to doing and trying these social practices out. I wanted to just mention that's the purpose of this prototype to see if we can do that successfully, and then to build on that, um, which is where, what we're going to do from here. Um, so Chris and I are deeply committed to this, and. As a result of our commitment, we want to build a more full-featured app, something that actually has the human-to-human quality as well. So Chris and I are going to talk a little bit about the, some of the future features that we're building and then open it up for questions. Um, so the first feature we've talked about already, haven't we, Chris? We've talked about meditating with AI. And let me just share my screen again here. The thing we haven't really talked about, what I think is important is that because these practices that we're sharing are based on simple protocols, because they're all peer-to-peer, they're done out loud and they're interactive, and they're all trauma-informed with the role of the witness and safety release valve. There's different practices we've learned that we're building in, baking into the application that make this a trauma-informed practice. Uh, because of all that, there are actually many different practices that we could share and that we do in the Buddhist Geeks community. We're starting with freestyle noting because this is a classic practice. It's really powerful. We know a lot about it, so it's, we feel comfortable sharing it broadly. And our intention is to add lots of new practices in the future so that you could actually play with, a, the, with the AI, not just with one practice, but potentially dozens of practices. And so this will be a way, in a sense, also to teach people lots of different multiplayer meditation techniques. Um, And our, our vision, too, from the very beginning has been to have a free version of this app always available. So that's important to us. And we want to have at least one practice, probably freestyle noting is our current best guess at what that would be. But one practice that's available to anyone freely available. You don't have to be paying for it. As a basic, it's like basic access to a public good. It's like a mental health tool that anyone can use. And then from there, we'll figure out ways of funding the company that's building these technologies. And I do want to just mention a little bit about that before we shift into Q&A, which is around the question of funding. Like, how are we actually building this thing? Because it's great to have all these ideals and to have a vision for wanting to share social meditation with the world, it's a very different thing to actually execute on that vision and to make it happen. And usually things like this take, if they do succeed, which is rare, they take a good 10 years often to succeed. So how do you t- actually do this? We're, right now we're doing two things. One is we're actually just getting support from kind of investors and they're called angel investors in business terms, but I think Bodhisattva investor in this context would also be accurate. It's like people that want to help accelerate this vision that helps us build the thing, which takes time and expertise. That said, just relying purely on other people's money and capital to help build something cool, which is great when you have that level of support. It isn't great to be dependent only on that. And so it's important in, a, in an early company to also to develop ways of bringing in revenue, bringing money in that can help fuel the growth of the company. So we're going to do both We're we're actually both doing a WeFunder crowd campaign at the moment, which is a way of, it's a crowdfunding mechanism for raising capital. it's, it's a newly created thing in the last several years, which is actually quite cool. In America, our laws are are so favoring entrepreneurship, of course, which is in some ways not good. But one of the good parts of that is that normal people can actually invest in companies now at small dollar amounts. You don't have to be an accredited investor anymore. And what's cool about that is it opens up the possibility of community-funded projects. And so for us, we had a few close friends that did provide some early backing to help us get to this point. A number of them who are community members here in Buddhist Geeks and close friends of Chris and I's. And from here, we really want to invite the rest of our community, people that know these practices or are interested in this vision as well, uh, to help back this. So you can check out the WeFunder campaign actually now. It's uh, it's not publicly live, but we'll share the link with you here. Um that's one of the ways we're we're funding this and the other way is that we're going to actually be bringing back some of the facilitator training work and offering that in a way that brings in some more re- some additional revenue so that we can build this free app and so we're thinking of this in the kind of big picture way of like how do we tap into these capitalist models for scaling because capitalism is still one of the best ways to scale projects up while maintaining the heart of generosity that that gave birth to these practices. We're not teaching this in a Buddhist context. This isn't a Buddhist app. We want it to be uh, able to be bigger than that, but it is informed by that. And so that's, I think, a really important principle. So anyway, this is a bit about what we're working on. Here is the link uh, to the WeFunder if you wanna check it out. And let's just open it up here for questions. And unless Chris, you have anything else uh, that you wanted to share. I'll stop sharing my screen here, sorry. We didn't say our, our purpose. Oh, yeah, we have a formal purpose. <laughs> uh, our company, it's a public benefit corporation whose purpose is to improve the mental health and well being of all humans using interpersonal meditation practices. So the cool thing is, if you do choose to invest in this company, it can only be used for that purpose. We have a legal protection that you can't just suddenly become like, I don't know what what kind of company, like an arms dealer. We can't suddenly pivot to that. We have to stay in this on on purpose. Okay, questions, feel free. We're going to open it up here. Shizuka, go ahead. Yes, thank you. So can you hear me okay? yeah yeah totally
2: so i'm glad you said to promote mental health and well-being and i was wondering if you guys are thinking about uh sort of close or partnership with mental health care professionals Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. right now a lot of people (laughs) are depressed and are very having difficult time during and uh, negative effect of the COVID or pandemic, right? And sure. you just even cannot get an appointment with a therapist, but people are suffering.
3: So mm.
2: for that, I think you can have a great partnership with mental health care people to have their clients to try it out with AI. So that could be a really a big base, client base, Mm. in terms of developing a business model. Mm. And another thing that I was concerned about is because I have lots of introverted IT young professionals or kids who really cannot interact with other people, really. Mm. So If you get those people into this platform, you might have a real hard time weaning them off of meditation with AI because there may be interesting to get people outside of the circle directly into human meditation. Meditation with human. (laughs) And... In between sessions with humans, AI program can enhance the practice because I'm really concerned that these young people who have some mental problems to begin with, it's going to be hard for them to get out to the community. They're going to be addicted to AI meditation. So,
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. It's a real... Concern and I think Zach Stein, a philosopher, brings this up with AI and education a lot, and he talks about how if AI becomes a tool that actually dissociates us from human connection, then it, it could be profoundly bad. <laughs> so that's AI a real, that's a real, that's really, a real concern. Really
2: good because it's going to progress so quickly. So we we won't be able to to know the difference in terms of beginner's practice, right? It it it's just incredible how what what even chat GPT can do now. And it's gonna only get get better and better. So that was my concern that novice will be satisfied with AI. So that's my concern. Thank you.
1: I I'd, I'd like to mention just a couple of things. I'm really inspired by the lab that's running the uh, the social meditation study called the 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 Gem Lab, the Games for Emotional and Mental Health Lab. And there they have they look at the effective like efficacy of CBT delivered to children, and they see that it works for half of children. And, but they also see that it doesn't work for half and their strategy is actually to develop video games in order to to deliver emotional management and resiliency techniques to the the group of of kids that aren't being helped with talk therapy, CBT. And I see that as a means of, in a sense, meeting people where they are and delivering something that's a benefit and I use that in some ways as an analogy for what we're doing because those same people that you're referring to that wouldn't, may have difficulty with social interaction, that's exactly where the AI shines because then they can actually be delivered these practices in a way that is compatible like with them. It's easy. And then the the task for us then becomes... Moving them from there into a more with other people rather than with just AI.
0: All right. Thank you, Shizuka. Appreciate your comment and concerns. Yeah. share them. Uh, Jonathan, what you got?
4: Thank you. Wow. I'm just going to say thank you for sharing the wisdom on moving from the individual basis towards community. I'm uh, playing around with a project that I knew like community was important, but I wasn't thinking about having that intentional concentricness. Uh, I don't know what direction, but uh, thank you for that. Um, and it solves the thing that Shiz- Shizuka, I was like, I, I had my eyes on it, but I didn't really know what to do with it. So just thank you. Oh, great. Um, a specific technical question is... Are you using a library for the client-side voice activity detection? Have <laughs> you write it yourself?
1: Yeah, it's, it's Ricky something that is a GitHub repo, if you want to know. And I'm actually like, I, I'm considering taking over maintenance of it. Like I've contributed so much to it actually. Hey, um, but I found know, it. Okay. Yeah, cool.
4: Beautiful. Thank you. Jan,
3: what you got? Hey, it's great to see you all. Thank you for your presentation. My question is like technical, but it goes back to the diagram that Chris was presenting. In human-to-human interaction in social meditation, in multiplayer meditation, the interaction is one of the main factors that, that brings the strength of the practice. It's this moment when I feel I'm about to say something, but the note... Uh, of the person be- before me just changes that in some interaction. And I'm just curious what is the AI model doing? How is it interacting with me when I say hearing? I noticed that there is some like decoding of what I said and transcribing that and some interaction. We're uh, quite used to chat GPTs and Claude's that when I asked who was the second president of the United States, it just answers, tries to answer, so to say, the question, what does the AI, AI model do in
1: this case? I'm just curious. Thank you. So, yeah, good question. For, I mean, for right now, it's just text content. It's just the the thing that it's taking in right now is just the text of what you just said. And we have a very elaborate kind of perspectives and prompts that it's fed with that that is what returns the response. So that's the response for today. There's a project that we're gonna integrate with and use at some point called uh, hume.ai. which is actually going to get us what's called speech prosody data, which is essentially not the what of what is said, but the how of what is said, which means that we can at some point actually get in some sort of the, um, more of the emotional qualities of, of how it's something is said as a factor of how it responds to you. Right now, it's just the what. It's just what you say, Yeah.
0: Thank you. Mm -hmm. Maverick, you had a question, I think, or your hands raised? Please.
1: Yeah. Hey, this is
0: awesome. I'm really enjoying it. Thank you. Yeah, uh, this is really cool. I'm also building something similar uh, that deals more in emotional work. And I'm curious, you had mentioned trauma-informed, and Mm. uh, that's something that's coming to mind a lot. For me, uh, and for all the people demoing, the thing I'm working on is the places you could get and the sense of nervous system regulation that people place into an external voice that's not there. That's not actually a person there able to co-regulate, but we naturally start to do that, and that gets into tricky waters and with
1: potentially trauma coming up. Uh, yeah, I'm just curious how you're thinking of through all of
2: that,
0: of what sort of fail safes And if you'd like, you have a line, you're like, we won't go this place. Mhm. Yeah, it's a really important question, how to, especially when you're talking about scaling up a meditative psychotechnology, how do you scale it up in a way that has less negative externalities or impacts on the people using it? So, that, so the positive net is much higher than the negative. Of course, there's no way to avoid, completely avoid harm here. I think we have to acknowledge that, but there's a lot of ways we can minimize and reduce it. And One of the reasons I'm glad Budapong in some sense didn't work at that time is that, you know, we learned a lot from 2012 to now, Kenneth, myself, and all the community of people who've done these practices, we've learned some of what doesn't work, and we're trying to incorporate that into this app. When I mentioned not doing two-player mode, that's part of what we found works with trauma integration, is to have a third or fourth person, a perspective involved. That way, people one are less; they're less, they have less of a tendency to actually behave in in inappropriate ways because there's another person (laughs) who's witnessing them. Uh, And then also, it just changes the way we perceive each other when there's more people around, and it makes it a little less easy to misinterpret things in that direction. So this is one of the things. One of the things that Kenneth developed early on was what he called the safety release valve note. So if you do our current demo, you'll notice in the instructions, it says, if you're ever not sure what to say, you can always say, don't know. And that's really important uh, to give people an option for not knowing and a formal way to acknowledge they don't know, because sometimes that can generate a lot of social anxiety. It's like, I should have an answer. I should know what's going on. And then that can, you know, that can spiral out of control, as you probably know, if you've been working with similar kinds of practices, the social piece can work for you or against you. It works for you in these practices and it keeps everyone on point and on task but it also if you don't have a place to go if you don't feel like okay i can just stop and witness right now and just be a silent observer or i can just say don't know i can have a choice basically a lot of trauma as i understand it trauma integration and trauma informed approaches make space for people's agency in the process if you're leading a guided meditation, you remind people you can choose to follow these instructions or let them, let them whiz by you and just do what you need to do. Uh, that's actually standard operating procedure for most meditation teachers to learn that now. It's, that's a trauma informed move. And so likewise with social meditation, I think there are similar trauma informed structures and moves we can make such as the witness where you can have the agency to choose to be a silent observer anytime and not feel pressured to have to speak out loud. Or you can just say, don't know if you actually don't know what's going on. Uh, these are important things. Uh, and then ultimately with this tech, we'll also have ways of kind of monitoring, I guess, or seeing like when someone starts behaving in a way that's actually harmful, um, we have tools for being able to check and see if that's happening and uh, mitigate that kind of behavior on, on the network. Actually, in our current prototype already, if you curse during the interactive tutorial, Emily, my partner and the voice of our AI, will she will give you some shit. For that <laughs> yeah so it's already working max okay, we'll, we'll end you. here with, we'll end
4: here with your yeah, yeah. i think it's You really pretty much answered it i wanted to ask if, what protection like trauma informed yes perfect and then yeah. what protection from accusers because it only needs a few bad seeds that kind of are drawn to the light and want to just uh, put their darkness in there and that can be quite harmful so yeah i was also saying something like like in help desk actually like to if something really troubling comes up like maybe like Shizuka said like in psychological emergency help desk where you can talk to someone either someone outside comes in or something from internally gets triggered that would be really difficult to fund probably at the beginning but
0: yeah but that's a nice idea
4: on the emotional well-being
0: it reminds me of the spiritual emergency network that existed for some time. It was like an independent network where you could call if you're having a spiritual emergency or you had just been abducted by a UFO. You could give them a call and and check in. And unfortunately, we don't have a lot of public services like that, really, or any. So yeah, it'd be nice to contribute to something like that. Um, I agree.
4: Yeah. I think the biggest thing you already said, like no two-player no, no two anonymous is that you always at these three persons. That, to me, would be really important um, Yeah the first safeguard
0: yeah i think that's with the random strangers if it's cooperative and you're like inviting people fine you you invite your friend you want to show them the thing uh you've already got consent at that point so it's probably okay but yeah you're right with multiple people and they're strangers uh we have to have safeguards built in for that agreed olga we've got one more minute left why don't we why don't we uh go to you and we'll wrap here
5: Perfect. Thank you. First of all, congratulations. Really exciting to see building something new that to my knowledge does not exist yet in the space. I've gotten the chance to try out a prototype. It was a very interesting experience. I am trained in the noting meditation, but Mm. have never done it in a social setting before. Nice. I am based out of San Diego and I'm a co-founder of a virtual reality biofeedback meditation technology that we're building. And early on, we did an extensive research of over hundred of meditators to identify common issues. And mm. one of the problems that we identified was actually meditators feeling alone and isolated in their practice when they practice by themselves. Yes. And it looks like you guys focused on solving that problem. We went in a different direction, but I'm very happy to see that there is a solution for that problem that's very relevant for me as well. Mm. My question is, you mentioned that you will be bringing more practices for mindfulness and meditation into this social shared meditation setting. Can you talk a little bit more about what kind of practices you think would work well for that?
0: Yeah, sure. Thank you, Olga. And thanks for being here. Um, Very cool that there are some fellow contemplative technologists here. Yeah. Um, So the link I just shared is... A kind of deeper answer to your question, there's a, a guide online called the social meditation guide that lists a number of practices that we do in the Buddhist geeks community, a lot of which would be uh, candidates to be AIified, I guess you could say. And Chris and I've talked a lot about our like basic, uh, like a basic heartfulness practice, such as may heartfulness arise, where you say may blank arise, and then you use a word or two to fill in the blank with a well-wish that you have for yourself and all beings. So may may joy arise, may comfort arise, may ease arise, whatever it is. That could be an example of a practice you could do with an AI partner or with other people. That would be much more like heart-centered, kind of meta style. And there's lots of other ones from concentration practices where you could count the breaths out loud together, like one, for instance, or red, as you look at a red object together, very simple things, but that help focus attention together. Social mindcraft is another one I'll mention. Kenneth Folk developed where you mind, mindcraft, where you say, I will allow for, and then whatever you want to allow in your universe. It's a a world building game. So that's like an imaginal form of practice meditation. We could include that too. All of those are possibilities. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting buddhistgeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community, And join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered. You're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.